Welcome back to our podcast, Beyond the Model Asian. Today, we've invited a special guest, being Jim Paredes, a well-known icon of the Philippines that has influenced and coined the genre OPM as a member of the band Apo Hiking Society. Mr. Paredes, before we get started, we'd like to ask you, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. That's it's great. summer in the Philippines. It's kind of uh, hot, but I'm okay. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Okay, so... We're going to dive into your music career first and foremost. However, we'll gradually shift to other topics later in the episode, if that's okay with you. Sure. Surprise me. Sure. All right. Okay. So, you've had a successful career in music for decades. Um, what do you believe has been the key to your longevity and your relevance in the creative industry? Well, you have to consider what the music scene was in the Philippines before, when, mm -hmm. when we, at the time we entered. During that time... Uh, you had to be a clone of somebody famous in the world, especially in the United States or Britain, to be able to make it, you know. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I, I didn't like that idea. You know, I, I mean, I love, yeah. I love the Beatles and everything. I love all of these American sounds. But I just felt that we were a fringe market to them. I mean, they didn't write the songs they did for us. They wrote it for their people. You know, mm. so I wanted mm -hmm. to be an artist who would write the soundtrack of Filipino lives, you know. Mm, yeah. And that's how our group uh, branded itself. So we made our own original songs, OPMs, as we called them. Mm -hmm. And because we wrote relevant stuff, people could identify with love, humor, uh, breakup, you know, everything. I think uh, people followed us through the years. You know, because as we went through that. our own lives, because as we went through our own lives writing about stuff that we went through, people identified with it. Mm. And then, you know, they shared it with their children. And, you know, Apple celebrating 50 years this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. wow. That's, that's a long war. Incredible. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's what happened, basically. We just kept writing and performing and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. we were relevant, put it that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Seriously, that's incredible to hear. Congratulations on a 50-year anniversary. <laughs> that anniversary, that's amazing, seriously. Um, so while we are on the topic of your band, we wanted to ask you if you could talk about some of the most memorable experiences that you had while performing as part of the Apple Hiking Society. Well, okay. Uh, very humble beginnings. Uh, mm -hmm. Our first talent fee was 100 pesos, which uh, oh. we earned while singing for the uh, National Pest Control Association of the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, we even sang a song called Suicide is Painless, and we said, we dedicate it to your, your victims. You know, and none of them laughed. <laughs> none of them laughed. But the oh, highlight... Wow. <laughs> The highlights of our career, we, well, we've done, um, we're the first Filipinos, I think, to perform in Carnegie Hall. What? Really? Yeah. Oh my God. Ca Carnegie Hall, 1980, when was that? 86, I think. Yeah. Wow, Carnegie and, Hall. And we sold out. <laughs> wow. We sold out. We were also the first uh, musicians ever in the history of the of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to were, who were, uh, to have been allowed to perform there for six nights. What? 
insane. Yeah, we did. We did. This was in That's 1987. It was one of those freak chances where the, the Minister of Interior loved going to a Filipino restaurant. And the owner of the restaurant said, can I bring my favorite group over? Because, you know, there's no entertainment in <laughs> Saudi Arabia. Yes, there's yes. no music on radio. There's nothing, nothing. It's really just mm -hmm. prayers and all of that, you know. So mm -hmm. we were allowed to perform there, but in an in a abandoned airport. And all the people had to be bused in. And <laughs> these are Filipinos, of course. Because uh, uh -huh. Saudis right. don't go to concerts. They don't know what it is, you know. Yes, so... Yeah. I think uh, most of Saudi Arabia stopped when they, <laughs> all the Filipinos were there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what else? Oh, we've, we've, our first tour ever was in 1974, where mm -hmm. we toured 57 cities in three months in the United States and Canada. Three months. United By States car. and Canada. Wow. By car. By car. <laughs> yeah. By car. Yeah. So, you know, we, we drove everywhere. And I, I remember visiting places like Kamloops, Medicine Hat, you know, really mm. strange, faraway places. <laughs> you know. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Oh, Loved really? it. Almost every other day, you were in a different state. And you could, yeah. you could sense the accents, uh, you know, were changing. Changing, the, yeah. The weather was getting colder and we saw our first snow. And we took wow. we took off our shirts and ran out <laughs> in <nine laughs> pictures <laughs> without shirts, you know. Mm. So yeah, stuff like that. And uh, what else? Uh, we've toured everywhere, you know. But those are the mm. three highlights I can think of right now. Three mm -hmm. or four highlights. That is. Yeah. Amazing. Oh. Wow. I did not. Oh. One. One more. Uh, during one of the biggest protests in the Philippines, we performed for something like 700,000 people. Whoa, <laughs> that, you know, that's 700,000. Yeah, that what it's bigger, bigger than Wembley. <laughs> wow. This was in, this was in Edsa, uh, before the malls were up, you know? Yeah. Before the malls were up, it was, it was the first anniversary of Edsa. So we performed there. There's massive. So I think seven hundred thousand is kind of conservative, but you know, I'll I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Conservative. Yeah. I think that's a large 000. number. That's a yeah. Yeah. Huge crowd. Were you nervous initially, as this was, you know, one of your biggest hits? I assume. Well, I'm almost always nervous every show. So, oh. but it melts the moment you stand on stage, and you know, you've got. You have everything you need to really, you know, make it sizzle, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is amazing to hear about your accomplishments. Wow. Carnegie Hall, 700,000 people. That's incredible how far you've come to where we are today. Uh -huh. So thank you for telling us about that. Now, we wanted to actually delve deeper into one of your songs that was actually made to be a hit, which is When I Met You, yeah. which is a timeless classic that continues to resonate with people today. So we were wondering if you could walk us through the inspiration behind the song and how it actually came to be. Okay, um, I wrote the first part, uh, you know, from the beginning to, and it all began when I met you, and then oh, I and then wow. and then I stopped. I stopped. <laughs> I, I I stopped. I felt that the inspiration ended there. 
Seven really? months. And I left the song. I set it aside. I said, I'll work on other songs. Seven months later, when I played the song, when I got to, you know, and it all began when I met you, the rest came out. You taught me how to love. Everything else followed, like, like almost stream of consciousness, like really, really fast. And that's when I completed the song. And I wrote the song for my wife. Oh. And this was in, uh, let me see. 1983. Wow. So, h- how old is that song now? It's a slow burn, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like almost 40 years old. Yeah, That's and people insane. think it's like, you know, so cool. So, <laughs> yes, I love that. It really is a beautiful song. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes, even today, like this generation, it's actually, I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, on TikTok, the song actually was trending for a while. So, that was a really major feat. There are many social media platforms where this generation are actually still listening to your songs today. And When I Met uh-huh. You was one of those songs. So that's a really amazing yes. feat. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So um, in that way, what do you think of this generation in terms of the music industry and all other aspects? You know, well, I, I give this talk about the history of OPM. And uh, okay, so it started with people just imitating the West, right? And then OPM yes. came in, and then you know, uh, OPM in Tagalog came in really strong. And then uh, what happened was radio stations in the Philippines adopted the top 40 format. So, mm-hmm. what happened was your song had to sound like top 40 to be able to be played. So, OPM English came back, you know. Yeah. And uh, the thing was, um, radio got stricter and stricter. Like some stations would be just like R&B station. See, the thing is, that's good for the U.S. because you have something like maybe uh, 2,000 recordings a week that come come into play, right? In the Philippines, yes. you don't even have you don't even have like three albums that come out every month. <laughs> so. So what happened was, for people to be famous, they sound began to sound like more and more like the West, you know, um, which I think I think was not a good thing in the end. No, so uh, where where are we are right now? I think I think the young kids are doing everything. They're they're doing Korean pop, they're doing OPM, they're doing rap, they're doing everything, and I think something something good is gonna come out of that. So really. Oh. Yeah, I re- I really think so. It's really nice to hear. Yeah, there's and there's the, there's there's a lot of diversity, but let me tell you also, um, mm-hmm. and, and and this applies all over the world. Okay, okay. Uh, it, okay. All the music is now digitized, and you know it's so accessible. All these instruments, all of these effects and gadgets, and all of that can make anybody can allow anybody to make music, which is good. I mean, it's democratic and all of that. But I still believe that good songwriting belongs to, can only be done by very few people. You know? So, in a sense, I would say, you know, exposure is is democratic. You can bring it out in every social platform. But I think talent is still elite in that sense. Very, very few. Very, very few will have songs that will be played and, 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 done versions of like 10 years from now 
I presume you were one of the very, very few. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I would say so. Well, thank you, but uh, I, I didn't mean to lead it that way. Oh, oh of course not. But <laughs> yeah. really, we really do appreciate all of your lyrics for all of your songs, really, especially when I met you. So it was really incredible hearing about your inspiration about that when you talked yes. about it earlier. Mm -hmm. so. Andrew is actually Korean American, yet he is very interested in your songs, and his really? parents are yeah, he's Korean American, oh. and his parents are also aware of your songs. So you know, yeah. I, I I admire Korea so much that, <laughs> that they were able to they were able to conquer the world, you know? and it was because it's, it's a cooperation of everyone from government to talent right. agencies and everything, you know. And uh, mm. what they wanted to do was project Korea, Korean culture. That's what you call soft power, you know. I mean, they have the Samsungs right. and LG, East, LG, 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 LG. And they have all of that now. So now, now they're interested in, in affecting the world in a different way, culturally. And I think oh. it's such a great success, yeah. Yeah, it seems that you really value culture, but also you were talking about uh, Western influence, and I think one of yeah. your songs really projected that, and it was called American Junk. Oh, it was yeah. like a politically charged song that took aim oh, at yeah. American influence in the Philippines. So can yeah. you discuss like why it was important for you to address this issue? Well, at that time, there was a lot of uh, things going on. You know, there was, For one thing, I had become a dad, and my, my, my daughter got, you know, was, was like asking for junk food all the time, you know? And it just, <laughs> it just bothered me so much. And the symbol of junk food is, is uh, actually uh, McDonald's. McDonald's had just entered the Philippines. <laughs> oh. What do you call this? They pulled out sponsorship from our shows after that. <laughs> but anyway... The whole idea there was, you know, we, we were we were getting into, we were writing our own stuff, and then all of a sudden, MTV comes in, and you couldn't find the, you couldn't get played on TV if you didn't have a video, and videos mm -hmm. are very expensive during that time here, you know, oh, yeah. and then all of a sudden all of this music, da 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 da, and all of that, I just I just couldn't get get into it, so it was like a, a. Uh, protest song and I remember uh, a UP professor UP is University of the Philippines mm -hmm. and he said he had been giving lectures on colonialism and imperialism for for like 15 years and he said a three-minute song can summarize everything that I've been saying you know oh. and I, I felt I felt proud about that because I think music really has a certain uh, it's it's a, such a great tool for delivering any message. Yeah, and you know, with that about how music can deliver any message, your music has definitely been described as a mix of traditional Filipino melodies, with modern pop, and also rock sensibilities. <laughs> so, yeah. could you potentially discuss your approach to blending these different influences and how it actually like evolved throughout your career? Well, okay, the thing was. I grew up listening to Western songs, you know, mm. but, but the difference, I think the main difference in OPM is we started writing in Tagalog in, in our local language. Wow. And when, when you start writing in your local language, you begin to realize that there are certain genre of music that works so well with the language and doesn't work 
too well uh, with the language, right? So I'll give mm -hmm. you an example. Um, I, I think ballads and, and uh, you know, softer music, not, not softer, but ballads and um, I don't know how to describe that, but it's, it's, it's not rock, you know, works oh. so well with, with Tagalog. And oh, yeah. when you start writing in Tagalog, you begin to realize that your, your sensibilities are, are different from when you're writing in English. So, for, for example, if you write a love song in the Philippines, in the Philippine language, more likely than not, you're going to put the loved one in a pedestal. And you're almost always unworthy. All right? So, the, the guy writing the song is almost always unworthy of her love. Interesting. Okay? Interesting. So, it's, it's like, a, a, like a struggle. And, and no matter how cool you are, you know, it's it's gonna be like that. Like like even the eraser. Are you familiar with the eraser heads? Yes. The eraser heads. Yes. I okay. Think so. Mm -hmm. so an old guy from from the from the fifties, forties would say, for example, you know, uh, in Tagalog, you know, please look out the window. That's how the haranas were. A girl would just look out the window while you're singing, in, uh, you know, below. Oh. <laughs> and, and then mm -hmm. he would say, like, you know, just one look from you and and that is enough to you know to okay. bring me to heaven okay i see okay I see. so it's, it's something like that now the eraser heads had lyrics something like this i'll say it in tagalog and, and then translate in english I, okay ilang oras na ako nagpapakute sa'yo hindi mo naman napansin ang bagong t-shirt ko okay i don't know if you got that but what it's saying is i've been flirting with you for hours and you didn't even notice i was wearing a new t-shirt Okay. Oh. <laughs> said said in a very contemporary kind of way, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Right. Mm -hmm. But the th this is, the sentiment is the same, right? Yeah. You know, it's it's like I'm always in pain because you know I need your, I need your, uh, I need to be verified by by, by you, you know. Mm -hmm. I I need to be, what, it's not verified. I need to be, uh, to feel good. By your noticing me. Yeah, that's what it is. So when you write in Tagalog, it's kind of different. You kind of think differently. And I always oh, the translation. Yeah. So I I also write in English, but I noticed that because of years and years of thinking in Tagalog, I don't think I can write as contemporarily in English as other people who have who grew up who are in the U.S. can do it. Mm. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So I think when I met, when I met you was, was you know, I, I don't even know whether people still talk like that in the U.S. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you gave me a reason for my being and I love what I'm feeling. Somebody said, are, are you a, f a philosophy student or something? <laughs> you know? Now, so these days they probably just say, you know, I really dig you or whatever, right? <laughs> you know but so, somehow it's it's yeah. it's probably quaint english but people appreciate it you know what i mean yes. yeah mm -hmm. yeah we, we really do appreciate it yeah. definitely it's a different perspective yeah um mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a really interesting approach and i actually haven't thought of it that way they're very different the filipino melodies as well as uh 
American music. However, I feel like when you put that together, it's it's really interesting, <laughs> which is probably why a lot of people enjoyed um, When I Met You, and it's probably why it's your most popular song, I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, but, yeah. I, it, there's two songs that are fighting for popularity. Mm. Okay. One is mm-hmm. Panalangin. Of course. Which is which is even older. It's it's like nineteen eighty one. And it's the biggest wedding song now in the Philippines. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. Really, I mean and, and anywhere I go if if I sing that they'll know they'll know it. They really know it. Everyone knows mm. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have a Andrew is familiar. We, we have many songs yeah, like that. I'm yeah. We have uh, something like 60 recognizable songs. <laughs> I bet. Really? Yeah. Of course. So when we do but a concert, you know, you have to do the hits. And then you do the <laughs> other songs that you like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Do you have a particular favorite of yours? A favorite album or a favorite song? Well, the favorite album will have to be 10 Years Together because... Nine out mm. of the ten songs, they really made it, made it big. Oh, yeah. Of you course. Know. But um, with regards to favorite songs, it changes a lot. A lot. Sometimes I, I go with something very famous like When I Met You or I go s- with something very quaint like uh, Wala Nang Hahanapin Pa. I don't know if you've ever heard that song. But mm. sometimes when you do it in concert, the songs have a different feel from the record. And it just feels nicer or whatever, you know. So mm-hmm. it changes. And I always say that my songs are like my children. Some are spectacular. <laughs> mm. Some sort of like, you know, come in and, you know, quietly into the room. And, and, and have a, sl- a slow charm, a slow burn, you know, you know what I mean? Right, yeah, so right. So it's like that. <laughs> like when I met you, when we released it, it was not a big hit right away. <laughs> it was. It just lingered there, and then it took so many years before, you know, I really felt it was beginning to happen. <laughs> You've also dabbled in acting and television hosting. Can you talk about how these experiences have influenced your creative process? Um. Okay, but I'm not so excited about that. <laughs> actually, I mean, I mean, acting is good. Hosting a regular daily show was taxing it was oh my oh. gosh and so many sponsors demanding this and demanding that there was a time i actually hated it i said if i died right now you know what would they put in you know in my graves gravestone uh uh-huh. a, a noontime show host i said oh my gosh that's the worst thing you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so you know i'm i'm, I'm actually glad that ended but I do other stuff like I do a lot of writing. I've written four books actually. Really? Not in music. Not about music. About oh. Zen. About Zen. Zen. Zen meditation. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Because I I like doing that. I like I like the, oh. you know, the calm, the, the detachment to things. You know. It it, mm-hmm. it makes things calmer for me. I mean, you're famous, you know, you're doing all of that. It can be, it can really drive you crazy. So, 
Okay, I'm very happy that you were actually very honest with us with that because we were actually very curious on what you thought about, uh, you know, having experienced that a little bit. But we want to actually go back to some of uh, your actual life experiences. So right now, I think that you've experienced basically living in both the Philippines and Australia. Yeah. So we want to ask you, like, what your thoughts were in regard to, like, the different cultures and what you enjoyed out of seeing the two different kinds of perspectives. Okay, um... From a Filipino point of view, moving to Australia was very amazing in terms of uh, in terms of uh, what do you call this? In terms of living in a democracy. Okay, Australia is very egalitarian, meaning uh, you get your fair share, you get your fair go, as they call it. You know, uh, mm -hmm. here a carpenter, you know, or a construction worker can build a hotel but not enter it after. You know what I mean? In the Philippines. I see. Yeah, because he's too poor to enter it. You know, in, 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 in Australia, that's not the case. I mean, I live in a neighborhood like, you know, one neighbor is a retiree, the other one is a, you know, makes tattoo designs and fixes old cars. One is a Russian pianist from, yeah, from, from Russia. Uh, you know, one's an accountant, so it, it's kind of like, Everything is uh, accessible to everybody. Free education, free free hospitalization, everything. And uh, the way um, multiculturalism is working there is great. Like nobody even asks anymore where you're from, you know? In, in Sydney at least. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes there's a flare up, you know, uh, and, and there's like racism or something, but you know, nobody gets killed, not yet. You know, mm. there, there's, no, there's no like entering a, 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 an Asian restaurant and then, you know, trashing the place. You know, nothing like that. No shootings. Oh, we have no shootings at, at all. The first time a shooting happened there, the government bought all the guns of the people and said nobody wow. can have guns anymore. And that's it. It ended it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Poli very different from America. Political will. I also lived in the U.S. for, you know, I've been there like maybe 50 times. And sometimes I will, wow. I will stay for months. And I, I love the, the dynamism of the U.S. culturally in a sense that, you know, I mean, if you could describe countries as, as uh, people, I think the U.S. is a, is a teenager, still a teenager. You know, lacking a bit in maturity, but you know, so much, so much, uh, what do you call this? Dynamism, so much uh, imagination, so much, you know, must do this, that kind of thing. So that's very, that, that inspires me. But the U.S. is still the trendsetter in many ways. And, and the way it has embraced the culturally, the music from other countries is, is great. Australia. Australia is, uh, is too, is much calmer than the U.S. I think the natural mantra is, uh, no worries, mate. <laughs> I think that's what it is. And the Philippines is like, you know, trying to, trying to find its own expression in the world. And I um, always tell people, you know, young songwriters, I said, you know what? Your song sounds like it was made in L.A. So why should L.A. be interested in you? 
Wow. You know, I always say you must come from a particular place. To be international, you got to be national. I mean, look at the Koreans. They came in as Koreans, right? Right. The Japanese came in as ja the Chinese, the, the Italians. I mean, they have a brand, right? Yes. The Philippines still has to develop that. We don't have culturally. See, the best singers come from the Philippines, but that's hardware. Culture is software. And people are looking for software, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. So, so I always tell them, you know, you have, have to come into your own. You have to, you know, you're, you're not, if you're, if you're just going to write songs to promote a culture that already exists like the U.S., it's not going to do anything for, for the Philippines. It's going to do something for you, right? But if you really want to to make an impact in the world, you come in as who you are. World music is a come-as-you-are party. And, and you got to contribute something to the pot. You know, you don't, you don't contribute barbecue to the, the country that serves barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, that's a very, yeah. like, interesting thing, but that's so true, you yeah. know? Like, everyone's like, you know, they don't come in trying to blend in. They come in with in their own identity, right? And I really do appreciate that. You know, you you recognize this because it's amazing to see that, and I think we, Ellen, and I can both agree that um, you have been definitely a core uh, identity of the Philippines based on the you know the culture that you spread. You know, just through your songs, mm -hmm. like when I met you and all of the, all of your songs in general, you really have I guess spread the Philippine culture. Even if they haven't developed their identity as much as the other countries yet, you've definitely made an impact on especially people like. Ellen and I, so we really do appreciate that. You know, it's strangely enough, uh, when we started, we were very scared because it was so new. Even Filipinos would, would mock us. Wow. You know, they would say, we go, the next song is going to be our composition, and they boo, you know? They used to boo. Whoa. So what we did was, before we would do our compositions, we'd try to be very funny. So that they look at us very lightly, you know. Hey, these guys are fun. Right. You know? And then we go, oh, incidentally, we have a song. And they go, oh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then it, it's more acceptable. It's more acceptable. Yeah. You know. I see. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, uh, actually, I wanted to talk to you about this. Earlier, you mentioned having your daughter. Um, obviously, being the um, incredible person that you've come to be today, we wanted to know how you actually encouraged your daughter as she was growing up to pursue her own passions and what advice you actually gave her as she embarked on her own like artistic journey. Like, like my mother, my mother always used to say, I don't care what career you do, even if you're just a, a cook. Because during that time, there were no chefs in the Philippines, you know. To be a cook is like, you know, it's, it's not a glamour job. And she said, even if you're just a cook, as long as you do your best, and you'd be outstanding. That's what my mother used to say. And uh, there was no way that any of my brothers would get into being an artist because, you know, I had to pay the bills. Right. And I got a job as a regular employee, but on the day of, on the day of showing up, I didn't go. I, I couldn't imagine how I would last in an office. And my brothers were breathing down my neck, you know, get a job and everything. I said, no, <laughs> this is my job. Yeah. Until 
until I became financially successful. But anyway, I brought them to Australia precisely because of that. I wanted to give them a chance to be themselves. Because in this country, they will always be my daughter. You know what I mean? Like my son does, doesn't have to do a driver's license because his father is Jim Paredes. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have to, to do the driving test. You know, stuff like that. And when you enter a restaurant, right. you, get, you get recognized and you, you know, they, they fawn over you. And my daughter gets a job as a VJ because she's my daughter. Well, well they're, all, they're good, actually. To be fair, they were very good at their jobs. But, you know, I, when I brought them to Australia, I said, Jim Paredes doesn't throw shit around here. So you'll have to, <laughs> you'll have to do your own, you know. Right. So, wow. so my gosh, at first, you know, they failed the driving, you know, stuff like that. It was so hard. But after, mm -hmm. after a few years, they, they actually thanked me. And, and, and you know, so I said, I want you to experience a country where you are like everybody else, but it will give you a, f a fair go. You know, you just try your best and it will pay you back, you know. And that's what happened to them. And my daughter now, my eldest daughter, who used to love junk food, is now a very successful chef in Paris. Wow. Yeah. I mean, very successful. That on, her, on her seventh month, she got a... She was reviewed in really... Uh, very prestigious magazines about her cooking and uh, she's probably on her way to a Michelin star but it takes three years but really? she's, she's only five months wow and, and and a big Michelin star a big culinary magazine s proclaimed this that the best fried chicken you can ever eat in all of France is done by Erica Paredes <laughs> Really? Yeah. Her restaurant is called Reina. And then my two other children in Australia are, are doing quite well. They're very happy there. You know, they, they sound like Aussies. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, they, yeah. You know, when I can't understand what's going on, I, go, I ask my son, what's happening? <laughs> you know, when it's, when it's all Aussies in the house, you know, they're friends and everything. Yeah. Because they, they have a different, they have different words, you know, and, and the accent. Like, for example, you know, on TV, you see this guy, you know, let's say an actor, and they ask him, what are you spruiking? Spruiking, what, what the hell is that, right? What they're saying is, what are you promoting? What movie are you doing now? Oh. But they have their own, their own stuff like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my, my wow. kids are like that now. <laughs> But I've always told them, you know, um, I think my job as a parent is to make you come into your own and not be, not be my shadow. You come into your own. That's your own life, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I truly mean that. Well, I think I'd just like to say that we would really appreciate your words of wisdom about your parenting. But lastly, what can we expect from you in the future for fans? Do you have any upcoming projects or plans that you'd like to share? Yeah, we have lots of concerts this year. Uh, really? Yeah, we have about wow. so many scheduled already and we're doing the U.S. I think we're doing um, 
I think we're doing the casinos in uh, California. Mm-hmm. No? I think that's what they're talk, talking about now. And we may, there's a Chicago that they're, they're talking about. I, I don't want to announce it yet until it's, it's final, you know? Yeah. Wow. But, but that's Congratulations. What, that's what we're doing. And there's Japan. There's a... Uh, it's our 50th anniversary also, so we're doing two nights in, in our school gym. Can you imagine where we met? Uh, really? Yeah. It's, 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 not, it's not a gym now. It's, a, it's, it's actually a theater now. But really? Wow. Yeah, so we're, we're doing the two nights, uh, the first two nights there. Then we're moving to a big venue, like a stadium for, for a repeat. Stuff like that. So, I'm also writing a lot of songs because I want to come up with a new album by next year. Really, a yeah. new album. Yeah. Well, we will be looking forward to that album. And again, correct. Congratulations on a 50th anniversary. I hope that all of your shows this year go amazing. <laughs> so, with that said, thank you so much, Mr. Paredes, for coming into our coming onto our podcast tonight. We really do appreciate it. And we hope our listeners were able to learn with us about who you are, where you come from, and how you've actually made the impact that you have today with Epohawking Society. And so we hope that we see you next time as we go more into depth about what goes beyond the model Asian.